Christmas time is a, is a time where we really come together and we celebrate and remember the greatest story, the greatest event in all history of humankind. It is uh, a moment, it is an event that was so profound that it actually split time, didn't it? We know that we have B.C. before Christ and A.D., which is Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. This event actually split time. That's how, how profound it is. And, of course, we're talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, his arrival and his birth, uh, the coming of Messiah, uh, back 2,000 years ago, it had been prophesied for generations and generations and generations, over centuries, they had this great expectation. But even though they had this expectation, and even though God's people, let's see, I need uh, either Eric or somebody's uh, instruments looping uh, up here. Ah, there you go. It was pretty cool. No, we got it. You're okay, Andrew. It was kind of soothing, but I just wasn't quite sure what was going on. Yeah, and worship team, thank you so much. Isn't it great? You know what? We can, honestly, we can get kind of caught up in the, in the hurry and the rush because we all got stuff to do later today. But isn't it awesome that we can just take a breath and take a moment during Christmas and remember Christ? In fact, we're going to talk about how we make room for Jesus, and one of, some of what we experienced this morning was just that, making room for Christmas. So even though the, the God's people had been anticipating this great moment for, for many, many years, and even though they were under the heavy load of Roman oppression, even though they were chained under the bondage of their own sins and poor choices, and even though they were being exploited and manipulating by their own religious leaders, when Jesus was born, almost everyone was too busy or too proud to give Jesus room in their lives that he might work the very thing their hearts yearn for salvation liberty restoration healing and hope in their lives as we saw in the video uh, uh, Augustus had ordered a, a census and this is where we're going to pick the story up throughout the whole Roman Empire every person under the Roman Empire was uh, required to go back to their hometown and take count so we're going to pick this up. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. I love having the kids in here, too. Kids, welcome. We're glad you guys are here this morning. Yeah. Luke 2, verses 4 through 7. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, you guys know that? Yeah. Uh, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. We can break that down. Obviously means very, 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 very pregnant. You didn't even have to wonder. You know, you're not supposed to ask sometimes. You learn that, guys, don't we? You, you just never ask. You, like, let somebody else bring it up or let them... Bring it up. You never guess. You didn't have to guess at this point. Uh, she was obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips 
of cloth and laid him in the manger because there was no lodging available for him. Or your translation might have, there was no room for him at the inn. And I want to tell you, hospitality was was vitally important to that culture. You know, travel was so hard and so dangerous. And some of the traditions that they have, even from the first century and before, even carry through today. So we were just, my wife and I and, and uh, Larry and Lolly, they're here this morning. We went to Israel, and, and one of the things, when we were traveling from Galilee up to Jerusalem, which might have been kind of the same route that Joseph and Mary would have taken, across the Negev Desert, all of a sudden we see these shepherds that are out there and these goats, and it's just dry mountains and there's lots and lots of caves. And all of a sudden we see a few tents. And then we see these clotheslines kind of hung up uh, in some of the caves and outside. And they were the uh, Bedouin people. And they had carried on this tradition. And they started telling us that if somebody comes through one of their villages, that you can, they have to give you lodging. They have to invite you in. And for the first three days, they can't even ask you why you are there. Who you are or where you are going. So this is just steeped in their culture, but as, as, as big as hospitality was because travel was so dangerous. And you know, with a very obviously pregnant woman, it would have been a tough, tough track. And even though it's part of their, their culture for centuries, they just didn't have room for Jesus. Chaos had had come to Bethlehem because of the census. Everybody was showing up. There were crowds of people, and there was no room for the kings despite this culture of hospitality. The innkeepers, all they knew was that things were crazy, and business was very, very, very good, and they just flat out didn't acknowledge Jesus. It's so, Christmas, the story of Christmas at times and the coming of Jesus is so ironic because the very salvation and satisfaction of their souls shows up at the front door and they just say, no, we don't have enough room. There's no place to stay. And they just kind of kick them out back, you know, with uh, where the animals would have been. It's an ironic thing. This season uh, of Christmas is really a season of futons, right, and air mattresses. And it's a, it's a season where the, the highways and the airport traffic is just nuts. It's, part, it's parties, shopping, uh, people shopping at the malls, people cutting people off, trying to get parking spaces at the malls, people blessing each other out that are that they believe like everybody's entitled to the same thing. We're just going like, hey, I prayed. Well, I prayed. Well, I prayed and fasted. Well, I prayed and fasted too. It's my spot. Anyway, we ended up blessing people out during this, this, this time. It's a time of what? Trees, decorations, eggnog. Yeah, holly, mistletoe. What am I leaving out? Fruitcakes. The gift that keeps on. Has anybody actually ever eaten uh, a fruitcake? Yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had the one, but I didn't know, like, event, you know, where it started, what year it came. I don't know what the life, you know, the shelf life of a fruitcake is, but 
It's, uh, it's sometimes. And uh, maybe the, the greatest marker of the Christmas season is credit cards, credit card debts. And sometimes, you know, the, the ironic thing is that even though we want to uh, practice the same uh, generosity that God had when he gave us his son, we get locked up and we're in, in bondage and in debt and we can't give to some of the things that we want to uh, give to. And sometimes during Christmas, we can be just like the innkeepers and be so busy and, and life can be so very, very, very good that we just lose track and we don't have room uh, for the one, the, the son that was given to us. In Mark 4.18, Jesus told us this about a certain uh, human condition that existed then and it exists today. It says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. And the result of that is so no fruit is produced. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves, and I know I'm speaking to the crowd because you guys made room for Jesus this morning is, is what is the fruit of our worship at Christmas? Jesus came. I want to tell you this. This is some pretty good news I'm going to tell you about right here. Jesus came so we wouldn't have to be slaves to our uh, to-do list. Jesus came. He's, he's, he's here. He's done everything that uh, God intended for him to do so that uh, we wouldn't have to run around in circles with weary souls, uh, worn out and exhausted. Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to try to please everybody around us. Because when we try to please everybody around us, you know what we end up doing? We end up trying to control them. If we get into people pleasing, that's just the fruit of it. And the other thing is we can just, as the scripture says, we can just get lost uh, in the weeds. So in this Christmas chaos, it seems like that the world has created, or the Western world, our, our world has created, uh, the question that we have is, is, ask is, is there room for Jesus? So some of it's just in the, the uh, events around it, and some of that we, we just do, but some of it is a cultural pressure. I don't know if you have felt it, but at times it seems like there's a big pressure to squeeze Jesus out of Christmas. Culture has decided in the name of, of, of tolerance to force people to observe the holidays the same way that they do, and that is without Christ. There's huge uproars because there's Christmas trees in an airport. Yeah, yeah. These guys ready to go. Sometimes they have it in, in some schools where, you know, you can, you can practice every other holiday, but if you want to get Jesus involved, all of a sudden, you know, the doors just kind of close up. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, with the peer pressure all around us, with the cultural pressure, is there still going to be room in, in our Christmas for Jesus? John 4.10 says this, it says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, this is the woman at the well uh, who was tired, who was worn up, who was used up, so to speak, 
who spent a lifetime trying to, to be a, a people pleaser and get her needs met in all of the wrong ways. Jesus said, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So I want to tell you that if the world only knew that Jesus is the greatest gift ever, that lots of room would be made. If they only knew that he had uh, living water, that you can take just one swig of Jesus and you become this fountain of life, everything that the soul and the world is longing for is found in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have stacks of presents. I just can imagine, like, uh, not so much now because we're empty nesters, but there was a time where, man, there would be, we had lots of relatives close around. Uh, we had our daughter living at home, all that, and there would just be almost a room full of, of, of presents. And sometimes we can be so looking for these stacks of presents uh, and, or just other things, material things in our home is just filling them up, filling them up to the place where we have to go out and get a bigger home because we can't fit all of our stuff in a smaller home, or maybe you do it just the other way. You go because you want a little bit more room, right? So you get the bigger house, and the first thing you do is go out, and oh, i got to shop. i got to fill up all of these rooms with stuff. So that's called, uh, maybe you call it materialism, but I want to tell you that Jesus has a gift for you. That's good news, kids, right? And adults, Jesus has got a gift for us. And it says, John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift. Awesome. Don't we love that? Uh, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And isn't that, isn't that awesome that if we don't take on all of these other gifts and if we actually save a little bit of closet space or room in our home for Jesus, that he'll come in and he has the greatest gift of all, peace for your soul, peace for your heart. Of all the things, the fears and the anxieties and the, the phobias that seem to chase us and lock us down and keep us from walking in our God plans and purposes for our lives. Jesus has left us with a gift. So Jesus is a gift, and maybe we'll say he's the gift that keeps on giving. Right? He has left us a gift. And I want to tell you, this peace that he has for your heart and uh, for your mind, you know, that is a, a, an everlasting gift that he gives as well. It, it has no beginning. It has no end. It has no bounds of, as far as how it can influence and how it can heal our, our lives. So the question is, is there, significant, is there room in our hearts? Is there room in our lives for Jesus? So let's ask uh, some stories. And kids, you can even chime in here because I'm going to ask some questions, okay? Kids ready? All right. <clears throat> so if we witness the greatest act of compassion we had ever seen, which is, is the cross, and even the one that's on the cross showing the greatest act of compassion is being cursed and mocked and spit on and executed, all of these things, and from the cross, he asked nothing from the Father but for forgiveness for those that were putting him and executing him. 
wouldn't you make room for that type of mercy in your life? If you saw somebody loving someone else so deeply, more deeply than you had ever seen in your life, wouldn't you be in tears and make room for this kind of love? Kids, if you guys are at the lunch table, you guys are having lunch, and there is somebody that is being so nice, in fact, they never bully anybody, and if anybody's being bullied, they always come, they always make the loners feel at home, would you make room for that person in your classroom? Would you make room for them at the cafeteria table? Yeah, will we make room for that type of person in our lives? Absolutely. If someone brought a news, the news of hope, great unspeakable hope into the room, will we not join together and shout and sing about this great light? What if the greatest royalty, the king of kings, came and wanted to be our friend, wouldn't we make room for that kind of honor in our lives? If the most kind and gifted physician put the maimed back together with a touch so amazing that not even death was beyond his healing capabilities, wouldn't we make room for this kind of healer in our lives? And if a person of wealth owned 100% of the world's assets and he wanted to give some to us, would we not make room for this generosity in our lives? Well, of course, I'm describing one person, and all of these things point to one person and one person alone, and that is, is Jesus Christ. This is the whole irony of the fact that when Jesus came, there was no room for him at the end, and it was really indicative of the, the treatment that he received all through his earthly ministries. And, and in many ways, it's the same treatment that he can experience today. But this morning we've come because we're going to put an end to that. We're going to kill it just a, a little bit more, this thing, uh, and, and that we crowd our lives, and we are going to make room for Jesus, uh, at least right here, right now, uh, as far as new song is concerned, and I hope for you and your families. As we move into a new year, there's going to be new seasons, new opportunities, maybe new relationships, new class schedules, new jobs. Uh, and I want to be sure that we make room for Jesus. So you might be thinking, well, okay, I get it. How do I make room for Jesus? I, I've kind of lost myself in the weeds just a little bit. Well, let's talk about this. I want to tell you that Jesus is just so loving and so awesome. Let's look at what he says in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. And he says this, look, I stand at the door and knock. So he is pursuing us, isn't he? If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So this is how it works. Jesus knocks on the door and what's our job? Yeah, we don't have to do a bunch of work that Jesus is pursuing us. He's standing right there. 
And whatever it is, whenever you decide to clean out the clutter in life to make room for him, I want to tell you, he is at the door and that he is knocking. And his desire is that he would come in and share a meal and share friendship with you. He's talking about intimacy. He's talking about relationship, isn't he? So the thing that we have to do is that we have, first thing is we have to declutter. Life gets busy, and I want to tell you, sometimes I see it. Uh, we have prayed with people, and God does awesome things. Maybe he increases their, uh, somebody's energy. They didn't have any energy. Increases their energy, their physical capacity in life. Maybe he gives them uh, the job that they've always wanted. Maybe they're praying for a husband or a wife, and, and they get that. And a lot of times, God will answer those prayers in his great mercy and love for, for us. And then sometimes, though, when the schedule starts stacking up, what's maybe the first thing to go? Man, I can't serve at the church anymore. I'm like, what? God just answered our, our prayers. It's the whole irony. It's the same human condition that existed all throughout time. So the second thing is confession. The third thing is to spend time in his words. I want to tell you, if you want to make room for Jesus, uh, get a red-letter Bible and open those words and just get lost in the Gospels. In fact, every year we go through a Gospel series in the month of March, and we're going to be doing that this year, uh, journaling and kind of going through the book of, of Mark but I want to encourage you on your own every day. You have to kind of gospelize yourself ongoing. Being gospelized isn't just a one-time event. It can be a pretty big event in our lives, but we have to gospelize ourselves with the truth and the teaching and the good news almost every single day. We have to wash ourselves with uh, the word. So it's the red letter words. And the third thing, too, is to actually uh, accept the invitation that Jesus has given us. Uh, go ahead and uh, knock, open the door. So we just have to say, yes, come in, Lord. Another way that we can make room for Jesus is through uh, communion, spending time and, and drawing close to him. There are two important uh, parts of, of Christmas. <clears throat> and the first is... Uh, one of the main themes is Emmanuel, that God is with us, that he walked among us, the word became flesh. <coughs> Excuse me. And he walks among us and lives with us now. The second big truth is Advent, and that is that the great anticipation or expectation of, of Jesus, that the hope of Christ's coming is something that should permeate uh, this season. It's a great season of hope and expectation. And the cool thing about communion that we're going to take in just a moment is that we celebrate both of these things, and that's why it is so fitting. We celebrate the fact that Jesus is with us, that he has come, and also the great expectation uh, that we have. Let's see, Andrew, if you could come forward, we'll go ahead and um, I want to read a scripture verse to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says this, For I pass on to you what I have received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave 
thanks to God for it, and then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And this is the other key part here. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So in communion, we celebrate the closeness of God, the fact that uh, we, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, that there is that he is with us. In fact, we know that his, his life is, is coursing through our veins. That, that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves, and that was to break down the walls that existed between us and the Father, intimacy with the Father. But the last verse, if we see, it says, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes today. So today is about remembering, yes, but it's also when we come and take communion, we have to be aware that what we're doing is we're actually making an announcement. Taking communion is like a very prophetic thing to do because we're saying that, that, yes, there wasn't a season of Advent back 2,000 years ago, but that there is a second coming or there is a, a second Advent to be had when Jesus Christ will come again.